Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. You know, one of the things that people most often do wrong when they make New Year's resolutions is that they bite off more than they can chew. Today on the show, we're talking with someone who says that organizations often do the same when they're trying to change their culture, and he recommends a different approach to culture change that is more lasting, more realistic, and ultimately more impactful. Before we get to a little bit more about today's guest, I want to remind you about the weekly leadership action list emails that I'm sending out for the entire year of 2021. If you want to stay focused in 2021 and receive one single strategic leadership action for you to take this week, these weekly emails are for you. Now, we're going to get to a little bit more about today's guest in just a second, but first, here's a little bit more about the leadership action list. It's great when you have time to listen to podcasts, but sometimes you just need to get straight to the facts. And that's why we've put together the Leadership Action List. It's a year's worth of weekly action steps to improve your leadership. If you want to be a noticeably different leader in one year, this simple but effective resource is for you. Download this list for free at leadershipactionlist.com. Once again, for an entire year of weekly leadership development, go to leadershipactionlist.com. Our guest today is the author of Culture Renovation, 18 Leadership Actions to Build an Unshakable Company. He's also CEO and co-founder of I4CP, the leading HR research firm that discovers the people practices of high-performance organizations. He's been a pioneer in the human capital field for 25 years and is an international keynote speaker on culture, talent management, leadership, innovation, diversity, metrics, and strategic learning in organizations. He founded and served as president of Some Total Systems, one of the largest providers of talent and learning solutions in the world, a company originally founded by Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen. Here is Kevin Oakes. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Josh. Great to be here. So I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. So you ready for these? Hey, fire away. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? You know, early on in my career, Josh, I read a book about open book management. You know, it was the swimming with the sharks concept years and years ago. And that today is a concept that I have continued to employ in this company and in every organization that I work with. I just feel like it's an easier way to manage a company. And I guess it goes down to or boils down to transparency. Uh, I just have always felt that it's better to be transparent and easier, frankly, to be transparent. So today with my organization, we meet on a monthly basis and go through all the financials of the company. Uh, I've had to teach some of my employees, you know, what certain terms mean like EBITDA, but uh, I, I find that to be healthy for the organization, and um, it's just a concept that stuck with me right from the start. 
Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is? I will say a, a leader is honest, visionary, and clear. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? I think leaders need to constantly be learners, frankly. And so they should be constantly asking themselves, what more do I need to learn and where should I focus that effort? And I've seen that in great leaders over and over again. They are not know-it-alls, they are learn-it-alls. And and that really resonates with me. What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? Uh, One of my favorite books that I've read lately is Hit Refresh by Satya Nadella at Microsoft. And it's a great example of what we want to talk about today, and that's how do you change culture. And I'm a big fan of what he's done at Microsoft. I think it's one of the best examples for organizations to follow if they want to change culture. So that's a book that I think is a great one for people to read. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? I would say uh, take time out to invest in yourself. And by that, I don't mean go exercise or, you know, (laughs) or eat better. I really mean try to have input from a reading perspective or other information perspective. I think it's important as leaders to have that input. So often we are constantly outputting, you know, we're constantly asked for information or we have to make decisions or ask for advice. And uh, I think most leaders get refreshed when they can have that input. So take time out for that. And now we have our final arbitrary but insightful question, which is this, as a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? For me, it's always been about asking why. My entire career, I guess I've questioned the conventional thinking and tried to think about why are we doing things a certain way? Um, Why do we believe that? And I think that helps as a leader and, you know, certainly helps the organization think through, are there better ways to do things? And I think some of the greatest innovators in the world probably have done the same thing. They've, They've constantly asked you know, that question, why, but it, that same philosophy kind of holds holds true to why not as well. Now, Kevin, we're here today to talk about your new book, Culture Renovation, 18 Leadership Actions to Build an Unshakable Company. You've had a lot of experience in the past and even today uh, working with people, and we read in your bio your experience uh, in the human capital field. I'd love for you to share a little bit about your experience that kind of led up to this book as well as why this book is something that's really important for people to be thinking about, especially in the time of the coronavirus. How can we be changing things, thinking about the future in order to take the changes that have maybe uh, been forced upon us, but make the world a better place for our organization and for others as well. Yeah, thanks, Josh. I I do think now is a a time to be thinking about this, and the pandemic has probably accelerated a lot of leaders' thought process around the culture of their organization. But let me back up and tell you why I wrote the book. My organization is is a research company. We do more HR research than anyone in the world. And uh, recently, we had embarked on a project to look at culture change uh, from a slightly different lens. Now, most leaders that I've talked to have wanted or attempted to change their culture of their organization, and rightly so. Culture has such a great impact on the financial success uh, or lack thereof of an organization, 
And there's much more pressure, particularly at the board level, to have culture measures and really understand what kind of culture the organization has and to make sure that we improve it going forward to get the most out of the workforce. Yet most leaders I've talked to, um, most people I've talked to who have embarked on a culture change have failed. In fact, we found in our research that only about 15%, 1-5% of companies that attempted a culture change have succeeded. And so the goal of our research was to look into that 15% and see what commonalities did those organizations have. And what we discovered is there was a pretty distinct blueprint of actions that leadership and HR can take in order to have successful culture change overall. And so we created uh, a study that outlined 18 leadership actions. And from that, I created the book, which is called Culture Renovation, because as we got into looking at culture change, most organizations and most people talk about culture transformation, yet very, very few, if, if any, companies actually transform their culture. They don't completely change it into something different. The best ones renovate. They hold on to what made them great to begin with. They hold on to their core values uh, that make sense going forward, you know, maybe their purpose. Uh, and they renovate for a future that is going to be unknown, but they want to make sure that they have the agility and really the, uh, the resilience to uh, proceed into that unknown future. And so cultural renovation is all about calling out those different action steps that organizations can take and really highlighting it with real life stories. And I profile numerous companies that have undergone culture change very successfully, uh, companies like Microsoft or 3M or T-Mobile. And I interview many CEOs as well as heads of HR in the book uh, so that we can highlight some of those, those examples that bring out those practical, tactical steps that the research uncovered. So when you talk about the renovation versus transformation, do you find that companies who are trying to make a culture change tend to throw out what made them great originally? Is that something that people fall into or is it that in trying to transform, they simply bite off more than they can chew? And in doing that, end up missing the entire process and just kind of reverting back to normal? Yeah, I think uh, the latter is probably more common. They bite off more they can, than they can chew. And a lot of companies have a lot of hoopla around trying to change something, but over time they just kind of revert back to the way it used to be. And what the successful companies do is first and foremost, they don't assume they know what the culture is today. Uh, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes senior leaders can do is lock themselves in a conference room and you know assume and talk about the culture without any data. Uh, the best companies have accumulated data about the culture through really listening to the workforce. And I'm not talking about, you know, the typical annual engage, engagement survey, which we call a false proxy if you're using that to gauge the, the culture itself and the health of the culture. Uh, that's a point-in-time survey. You really need uh, better intel. And the top companies have used very frequent surveys inside the organization, sometimes daily surveys inside the organization. They're using um, natural language processing and uh, sort of AI techniques in order to understand employee sentiment. And they're looking outside the organization at sites like Glassdoor and others, uh, which can be caustic, but also very illuminating around what the culture of the organization is. And from that, they begin to place a framework around, here's what our culture is today. 
here's what we want it to be tomorrow. Here are some of the elements we want to hold on to as as we've been illuminated from our from our workforce and informed by our workforce. And here's what we want going forward. I think all of those are very healthy steps that we've seen in successful culture change efforts. So optimally, people listening to this podcast right now will already have somewhat healthy cultures. But one of the things that I, I think about as I hear you talking is that you, you need to understand the culture like you just said. But if you have a culture in which people don't feel comfortable speaking up, it's almost like before you can change the culture, you have to change the culture, you know, help, help people feel comfortable sharing how they feel so you really can't understand. Do you find that organizations ever come across that hurdle where they aren't even at the point where they can get an accurate understanding? of where their employees are and how they're feeling? Well, psychological safety is a tenant of most healthy organizations. And so you certainly want to try to create that environment where people are comfortable giving feedback, speaking their mind, uh, not getting punished for doing so. And so, you know, you certainly want to have that as an aspect of the culture. But if you don't have psychological safety today, in order to understand what the workforce is feeling. I think there are numerous ways you can uh, help them share their sentiment uh, that is confidential, anonymous even, and brings out that information from the workforce so that you can begin to correct it. So you have these these 18 different action steps you can be taking as a leadership team and, and as a leader within your organization. We don't have time to go through all of them, obviously, and you probably want to leave a little bit for the reader when they buy the book. But what can you share with us about these actions in order for people to build that unshakable company? So I mentioned there were 18 steps, but we segmented those into three different phases, and we use the renovation theme for those phases. Uh, and those phases are plan, build, and maintain. And so under each of those phases, we have very practical, tactical advice around how you can create successful change. So under the plan side, we already talked about really listening to the workforce to understand what the culture is today and then setting that path going forward. Then it's important to really identify in your workforce who are the influencers and the energizers in the workforce, as well as the blockers. And Josh, you've probably experienced this many times in your career There are certain people that when you talk to them, you walk away from that conversation just full of energy, full of ideas, uh, upbeat. And then there are others where it's like talking to Darth Vader. They just suck the life out of the room and you're you're completely de-energized after the conversation. When you're trying to change culture, it's important to know who are those influencers and energizers because they need to be part of your culture ambassador team. Right. And you want to uh, make sure that you enlist them in the culture change effort so that they can carry it forward. Now, we talk very early in the book about the importance of leadership and that any successful culture change is leader led. But you need that co-creation mindset of the workforce and identifying those culture ambassadors to really uh, make it a lot easier for yourself and to make that culture change stick. You also need to understand who are the skeptics and the non-believers and blockers. Those are the people that you either need to persuade, move out of the way, or just just get completely out of the organization. And there's plenty of um, uh, successful companies who have moved those people out of the organization. You have to decide who's going to be on the bus and not on the bus. You don't need those uh, skeptics sort of lying in the weeds and derailing the efforts which um, unfortunately too often happens inside of organizations. 
you know, as you move into the build phase and some of what I just described is part of the build phase, there's a lot of information in the book around communication and collaboration and how it's important to really understand how that is happening inside the organization. Uh, I talk a lot about a technique called organizational network analysis, uh, which through um, scientific surveys and other methods of tracking through communication vehicles, you can really understand what is the workflow and collaboration inside the organization. Uh, And in most companies, it's very uneven. You've got a lot of collaboration and workflow going through certain people and departments and others who are very much on the outskirts. And it's important to understand that as you're trying to get your messages across, uh, where is that flow happening and not happening? And so we're big proponents of organizations looking at organizational network analysis. And then the, the last phase, Josh, on maintain, this is where most efforts fall down. It's, as I said at the beginning, it's very easy to sort of slowly revert back to the way things used to be. And sometimes that happens when you're not even realizing it's happening. Uh, So we talk a lot about the importance of maintaining that culture through different talent activities like onboarding, through talent movement, the internal processes of moving talent around in the organization, promoting talent, and also through things like your performance management practices and how are you rewarding the performance of individuals inside the organization. There are other talent aspects that we talk about as part of the maintain phase, but I think that's a, a critical one. And, you know, the last thing I'll say, Josh, on that, it's also important to know that there's no such thing as ultimate success where you can plant a flag in the ground and say, all right, we're done. Uh, This is an ongoing effort and you've got to uh, constantly be working at culture change. Even some of the most successful companies, and I mentioned Microsoft earlier, that are typically pointed to as being an incredible culture change success They don't rest on their laurels. They recognize that uh, there's a lot of companies lying in the weeds out there that want to knock Microsoft off their perch. And so they're constantly, constantly working at aspects of their culture uh, to make sure that they are being the best company they can be long term. For those who are looking ahead and want to make sure that they are aware of any potential pitfalls that may happen, you mentioned that the the maintenance phase is one of the ones you really have to be focused in on. Are there any uh, key areas, whether within the maintenance phase, or I'm also thinking in the planning and building phases, that you would say really beware of these areas as you're going through in order to make sure that the plan is a success? And obviously the 18 steps or the 18 actions in general are going to be important, but any key areas that you feel like leaders can tend to either take for granted or overlook that you would say, hey, beware of this? Yeah, one of the earlier uh, steps that we highlight that really is a determiner of success or not is determining how progress will be measured, monitored, and reported on your culture change. And in our research, we found that about two-thirds of organizations that were successful in changing their culture they set out those clear success measures that they were going to be looking at on a regular basis. Probably more startling, though, is that 90% of companies who said they were unsuccessful, they did not do this. They did not set out any of those measures up front. So one of the uh, pieces of advice I always counsel companies on is to set out those measures. How will you know you'll be successful? And frankly, those measures are are, uh, things that I think a lot of organizations are recognizing they need to have in place for their board of directors. More and more boards today are 
asking for culture data. They were asking for culture measures over time and trying to understand the culture a bit better. We, um, we probably over-architected on financial acumen in boards in the past. And um, today, I, as I talk to different chairs of boards and individual directors at large companies like Amazon or Domino's or Duncan Brands, they recognize the importance of having human capital expertise to have this conversation around culture. And the pandemic has accelerated that conversation. A lot of these boards uh, recognize that the CHRO and you know, the head of people is a very key strategic executive these days, much like the CFO was back in the 2008 financial crisis. And so they want to make sure they understand what's happening so that they're not sitting on sort of a Boeing situation with the 737 where, where the House of Representatives called it a, you know, a, a cultural issue or a Wells Fargo, um, you know, uh, ethics issue that also was labeled a cultural issue inside the organization. They want to make sure that they have a healthy culture in the companies that they govern. Uh, so I think that that aspect is one that's uh, that's pretty critical that I'd want to call out. So in two or three years, people may come back and listen to this episode and whatever you're about to say, they'll say, well, that's obvious. But in the moment, sometimes it's hard for us to see as we're going through some pretty significant changes in the way that we do business. That being said, what are some other key takeaways, some additional thoughts you have on how things have been accelerated in this area during the time of the pandemic? We talk to a lot of companies uh, every day, and during the pandemic, I'm so proud of my organization, Josh. We've set up an employer resource center that I've been told is the go-to uh, resource center for executives and HR professionals trying to glean insights on you know what they could be doing differently during the pandemic. But the one um, the one word that has been constantly used during the pandemic that's different is the word empathy. And we've heard over and over again that the best leaders, the best CEOs in organizations are much more empathetic today and and much more vocal about their empathy than they were in the past. And while that's been uh, lauded by many people, there's also a fear that maybe that goes away once we get through the pandemic. And so one one of the pieces of advice I have for leaders is to make sure that you're showing that empathy. And that empathy really manifests itself in in looking at the workforce. I think many companies are realizing they didn't have a good understanding of the unique situations that each of their employees typically has, uh, particularly as they're trying to set out policy. You know, today where a lot of companies have moved to a virtual environment, that virtual environment is affected by a lot of things. You know, I think a lot of people are suddenly discovering about their coworkers that they have pretty large caregiver responsibilities, whether it's childcare, whether it's elder care. Uh, we've seen a, you know, a real impact on working parents, particularly working mothers have been impacted the most during the pandemic, trying to manage homeschooling, caring for kids and being present Uh, in a virtual environment at work. And unfortunately, a lot of working mothers have had to quit their jobs um, because of the pandemic because they just couldn't handle it uh, and couldn't handle all the different responsibilities, which has led, you know, publications to call this the she session instead of a recession uh, for a lot of organizations. And so I think the best companies and the best leaders recognize there are very individual situations that we need to be empathetic towards and we need to be flexible around some of the policies that we put into place. And I think that's going to be the case 
even as we emerge out of the pandemic, as we return to the office, I think we're going to need to be flexible um, to each individual's uh, situation. I was talking with the CEO of MasterCard recently, Ajay Banga, who's just a, a great leader. And, uh, you know, he was telling me, Kevin, look, I've been amazed at how certain CEOs have made these sweeping generalizations about virtual work where, you know, some CEOs have said, we're going to go to virtual, you know, completely 100 percent and get rid of our corporate real estate. And others have said, we're going to, you know, I I think it's unproductive and we're going to return back to the office. You know, it's easy to say virtual work is is productive on the one hand, if you're sitting in a 6,000 square foot house with awesome Wi-Fi in your home office, you know, for a lot of people, the, the home working condition isn't great. You know, they, they've, they've got children at home, they've got in-laws at home, they've got pets, they don't have Wi-Fi or great Wi-Fi and, you know, in a, a great working environment. And the office was the respite. And if you look at the global companies um, out there, you know, the situations are very different depending on geography. And equally, you know, the, the return to the office situation, if you are a caregiver, if, you're, if your kid's school is closed, that's not uh, realistic for you to return to the office. So I think the smart CEOs are recognizing that and not making those sweeping generalizations. So as we're bringing the interview to a close in the next few minutes, I want to refocus on your book and get your insight on really the aspect of of renovation. You share with us the idea of renovation as opposed to transformation. And one of the things I'd like to hear from you, and I think it would be helpful for a lot of leaders listening to this, is when people go through the renovation process, do they experience that whiplash that sometimes happens in a big organizational change. How should people be thinking about what renovation does as opposed to transformation? Yeah, let me let me answer that a couple different ways. So I, I do think if you want to have real impact to your culture, employees should feel that it's different. They should know that there is a change happening. And in most of the case studies that are highlighted in the book, uh, that was the case. They, you know, this was not a small incremental little effort, you know, that, that employees you know, barely noticed. They recognized that this is a major effort. And we changed a number of things inside the organization to make that happen. But on the topic of change itself, the best companies out there, Josh, they are companies that are not afraid of change. And the company has typically, over time, done things to make the workforce very accustomed to and really uh, almost relishing uh, a constant change environment. And I talk a lot about that in the book. If your workforce fears change and looks at it uh, negatively, you're probably a low-performing organization. If your workforce looks at change as an opportunity in the marketplace and something that's welcome, you're probably a high-performing organization. And you can, you can instill that sense in the workforce by constantly um, moving uh, individuals from a talent mobility perspective. Uh, most top companies, they don't let their, particularly the high performers, uh, sit in one department and let managers hoard the best talent. They're constantly moving that talent around to expose that talent to different groups, divisions, departments, but also expose those those groups, divisions, departments to great ideas and new talent. And that helps collaboration and innovation and creativity overall. 
So I think you want a workforce in a company that, you know, is, is resilient and agile. Uh, you know, the pandemic, if, if uh, there's one thing the pandemic has taught us is we probably weren't as agile as we thought we were before. And so we need to be more agile for the next unprecedented event that will come down the pipe. And uh, I think, you know, constantly uh, inducing change in your organization helps that agility overall. Well, Kevin, I appreciate you coming on today to share about culture renovation. Before we finish up the interview, are there any things you'd like to highlight for the listeners, whether something that we've talked about that you'd like to reiterate or something that we just haven't had a chance to talk about yet today? I mentioned that culture change is never done, and I actually view the book as not being done. Uh, there are aspects and techniques that organizations have used around successfully changing their culture that aren't in the book. And we know that because we couldn't fit them in the book. And so we created a website that's a companion to the book and it's culturerenovation.com to allow companies to share some of those insights, share some of those techniques. And so if you are interested in culture change overall, there's going to be a lot of tools and uh, other assets out of the site. But I also encourage companies to share their experiences with, with us and with those other organizations. I want this to be a, you know, a living topic over time because it's going to change over time. And hopefully that site will help. So in addition to culturerenovation.com, is there anywhere else you'd like people to go to find out more about you and the work that you're doing and the change you're trying to bring about through helping organizations change their cultures and helping their workforce to be more effective in the work they're doing? Well, that culturerenovation.com website will also direct you to my organization's website, which is i4cp.com. And I mentioned that Employer Resource Center. If you're looking for next practices and ideas, uh, on how to manage a workforce through the pandemic, you'll find a plethora of case studies. Uh, you'll find a lot of data that we've done from a research perspective and just really a lot of conversations between experts out in the community uh, and examples from those companies. So you can check that out on i4cp.com and then more information on culture renovation at the Culture Renovation website. All right, Kevin, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Josh. It was fun. If you would like to connect with Kevin, make sure to go to his website, culturerenovation.com. Now, let's go ahead and get to today's three key takeaways. The first one is this. Only about 15% of companies that Kevin looked at that attempted a culture change actually succeeded. And this is a word of caution for leaders who are looking to undergo some sort of culture change within their organizations. This is not something that is a sure success. It's an important thing to do, perhaps, but make sure that you are doing the right things so that the culture change is actually successful. The second key takeaway is this. Most organizations talk about culture transformation, and I liked Kevin's focus on culture renovation. Maintain what makes your organization great, but also make sure that you are setting your organization up so that it can be the most resilient organization it can be for the future. And the final key takeaway is this. When you're looking to undergo a culture change within your organization, identify the influencers and energizers within your company. Also be aware of the blockers within your organization, but make sure that you're using the influencers and energizers as the ambassadors for the change you're looking to make. One more time, if you're looking to have a focused and successful year as a leader in 2021, I encourage you to download the leadership action list. We're going to be back one more time later this week with another great interview. And until then, keep living and leading well. Thank you. 
Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist... It feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.